Hey, this is John from pureandsimplebible.com, and I'm coming to you from Cambodia once again. While I'm on, a, while I'm on this two-week trip, I've taken advantage of it to re-record with Aubrey and now to spend some time with my travel companion on this trip, Wesley Hubbard. Wesley is a member of the congregation at Denton County where I worship and work with. He's striving to be an evangelist. And so he joined me on this trip. It's his second time in the country, and I was really grateful to have him with me. While we're here, I decided to take Wesley to a coffee shop and interview him for the podcast, taking advantage of some of the downtime we had that day. So we're going to be having a discussion about the high cost of discipleship, and I encourage you to follow along as we consider Luke chapter 14. And let's just jump right into it, shall we? So here we are at a coffee shop in Phnom Penh. Wesley Hubbard and I have traveled here from the United States. We're doing a series of preacher studies with Wani Chan as our interpreter with uh, some of the leaders from the churches out in the provinces coming in. So we're, I, I'm taking advantage of our time alone this Saturday to come to a coffee shop. Uh, there is a lot of background noise, so for our listeners, I apologize. I'll do my best to, to maybe get rid of some of it, but I know I'm not gonna be able to scrub out everything. But Wesley, this is not your first time in Cambodia. Why don't you tell me maybe a little bit about your time here, um, other travels around the world, etc.? cetera? Uh, yeah, me and you were here about a year and a half ago. Uh, we were, I was able to meet Wani for the first time, and a lot has changed. A lot is still the same. Uh, the work has grown, and uh, it's very exciting to, to, to see and to meet new brothers and sisters in Christ, and uh, it's very exciting. I also went to Africa about 10 years ago. Uh, to the country of Zambia, right? To Zambia, yeah. We stayed with uh, Dwayne per- Perminer there and Niall Stein. And, uh, and so I've, you know, I'm not well-traveled, but I've, I've been around a little bit. It's not your first rodeo. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you, you had a couple studies that you're planning on giving uh, at this preacher study, and I was able to look through your notes. So I thought we might have a conversation about discipleship. Specifically, uh, you, you title it The High Cost of Discipleship, but I think whenever we look in Bibles, you might find that in the heading in some of Jesus' sermons. You know, He really makes it clear that being his disciple uh, is going to cost a lot. And specifically in Luke 14 is where you, you, you take your thoughts from. So maybe give us some background. What, what exactly is going on in Luke 14? So at this point in time, you know, Jesus has been tra- traveling around from town to town, from city to city. And he is preaching the gospel to, to them. He's telling them what they need to do in order to be saved. He's doing miracles. He's, he's healing. But the key is, is wherever he's going, he is, uh, he's calling pe- people to be his disciples. Uh, and he's doing it in different ways. And particularly in this text, he's doing it in a very, shall we say, extreme way. Okay. And I'm going to take something away from what you said there. He's Everywhere he's going, he's calling people to be disciples. And for people who are listening today, um, we can apply this because he's also calling us through this lesson as well, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. This is a truth that was, uh, that was applicable then as much as it's applicable now to all of us. Uh, the circumstances change, the, the times have changed, but the gospel call remains the same. If you're following along, I'm reading from Luke chapter 14, verse 25. It says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus, 
And turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, from this point, Wes, uh, you know, he goes into a few different examples. But I'm asking you to maybe comment on something you have in here called consumer Christianity. And you, you spend a little bit of time in the study discussing what that is, and, and maybe it'd be healthy for us to hear that. You know, we in our culture have uh, been very successful in making things as easy as possible. We, we, we try to, you know, if the, the customer is always right, and so if they want uh, a bigger cheeseburger, we give them a bigger cheeseburger. Uh, if they want more cup holders, they get more cup holders. And so, uh, you know, we are able to make things uh, that the consumer can accept and di- digest very easily. Uh, and Jesus here is, is, not, is not doing that. Uh, he's in, in fact, it, it's, it's like I said before, it's very extreme what he's saying here. And this is not something that, that is going to be easily taken. And like I said, too often the world likes to, uh, to make things as easy as possible. If the service isn't, is too, too long, let's make it shorter. If the service isn't uh, exciting enough, let's add some more worship songs, some more uh, dances, some more plays, some more action. Uh, we try to make the gospel palatable for the masses, but that's not what Jesus did. Right. You're saying that this uh, consumer Christianity is kind of tailor-made to fit our preferences. We're making it more us-centered and less Christ-centered. What then would be, um, maybe from the, the section that we just read, what's this true calling in contrast to consumer Christianity? What is this calling that Jesus is is making for his disciples it really is a call of self-denial to to deny yourself and follow him and there's a lot in that you know this little phrase self-denial but it's really truly it's putting away your own self-fulfillment putting away your own plans your own ambitions right to follow jesus's plans and his ambitions and the life that he wants for us well i know in verse 26, for example, there's this invitation where he says, if anyone comes to me, you know, if you're going to come follow me. And so there's an expectation right off the bat that you're the follower, not the leader, you know, and he's the leader and not just a a good idea or a good construct for our consumer Christianity. Now, this call you say is demanding. I think maybe you've mentioned a little bit of of its demanding nature, but uh, as far as the selflessness goes. But let me take a moment and specifically talking about the demanding nature of our faith. Uh, what do we see here in Luke chapter 14? Jesus here, you know, while his message comes with love and it comes with compassion, with grace, with mercy, and with the utmost uh, concern for us, he does point out that, that there, is, uh, there is a cost to, in order to follow him and that cost again is that self-denial to put off the things of this life your own ambition your own uh, your own hopes and your own dreams as far as uh, uh, as you're concerned and really put
putting on him. He says there in verse 27, come after me. In verse 26, if anyone comes to me. You know, he's, he's saying if you're going to come to me and you're going to take on this life of Christianity, there are sacrifices that you are going to have to make. And again, the, the language there is extreme and unmistakable uh, and somewhat frightening. Right. I think about what you said um, about it being based. Some people are looking for the love and the compassion and the mercy of Christ, which are essential elements to the faith. But hand in hand with that love and mercy is the ability to deny self in order to access that love. And, and that's the challenge that many in the world are uh, struggling with, is how do I still have everything I want but also access what Christ is giving. And therein lies the heart of their issue. Now, at this point on, you know, you, you uh, break down three main points in the passage here. Um, and I like structure. And so I think it's good maybe for those to visualize with us that there's three, uh, I guess, applications or takeaways that, that we can get from this. What do we see first here uh, in this series of three points? Uh, well, the first point that, that he makes, and that's uh, in verse t- 26, it says, If anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his own father and mother and wife and children, brothers and s- sisters, again, this is very severe language. But really what he's pointing out is it's an abandonment of past pri- priorities. It is uh, the things that used to be paramount in our life uh, can no longer be paramount you know you you called it severe language and I absolutely agree so we need to talk about that for a minute Uh, hating your parents hating your children hating your spouse I mean that's about as severe as it gets what does it mean by hate there because surely I'm not supposed to just have an awful relationship with people that I love no uh, Jesus really never calls anyone to truly hate uh to hate somebody, uh, really what he's doing there is it's a hyperbole. He's he's pointing out that there needs to be preference for one thing and less preference for for uh, uh, another. You know, Jesus also said, uh, no man can serve two masters because you'll hate the one and you'll uh, you'll love the the other. He's not necessarily saying that you absolutely will love one and hate the other. He's saying, but one will be the dominant and one will be less. I have had this argument used against Christianity. I think I've said this on the podcast before. Um, but in Cambodia and other countries that are predominantly Buddhist, one of the stronger arguments that they use is don't become a Christian because Christians tell you to hate your parents. And they'll cite this verse out of context to say, uh, See, Christians tell you to hate your parents, whereas Buddhists tell you to love and honor your parents. And so I think there is a need to, to better understand it. Let me, let me give you this phrase and then maybe have you uh, share some comments as well. I like to respond with this concept. When you love God first, you learn to love others best. And so this hate that you have, like you, you mentioned, it's a preference um, you know, putting one in a clear priority over the other. By loving God first, I learn how to love my wife better than I ever would have if I didn't love God. Yeah. What do you think about that? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that the extreme language used here, as you said, I, I hit, you hit the nail on the, on the head. It makes a clear distinction. He's not calling for us to hate, but what he's calling for us is to, is to love him so much that, that almost the clear opposite of that is hate. Now, again, uh, I think he was just making it absolutely clear to his audience the type of love uh, that we need to have for him. And out of that is going to grow love for everyone else. You cannot be a person who loves God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength, uh, and then hate the rest of the world. It's impossible. It's impossible. You have an Old Testament example, uh, Jacob and Esau. What's going on there? Yeah, uh, another example of this hyperbole. When... uh, in the Old Testament, when uh, when uh, God said, "I loved," or Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated, I don't believe that he truly hated Esau. There's no reason for any of us to believe that. Uh, but he was showing a preference. He was showing that through Jacob was going to come the, uh, the 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 promise, the covenant, the the you know the future plans that he has for his ch- ch- children. And so, he's, again, he's showing the preference toward Jacob, uh, not that he hated e- Esau, but that Jacob, through Jacob, the promise was going to con- continue. You know, I think about Ephesians chapter 6 as well, where the Bible says in verse 1, for children to obey their parents, to honor father and mother. There's very clear scriptures that show us that, that our relationships matter. And so, you know, Jesus is not teaching us to, to hate those relationships. We use these in conjunction to see, first, I'm supposed to prioritize God. And like you said, uh, the past priorities are going to give way to new priorities. But that doesn't mean that the relationships I have are going to uh, be ones where I'm hateful. Now, other than the people in our lives, what other type of past priority are we abandoning whenever we consider the high cost of discipleship? well, so the relationships that you have, as we talked t- talked about with your family and with your friends and with the people who generally have charted your course throughout your life, that was that was point one. The second one is your own self-view, how you view yourself uh, in light of your position, what you what your hopes and dreams are, and what uh, and that what you intend to do to accomplish that. I. It's excellent that you've brought that up because people forget that that's in the same scripture. You know, like they want to pause where it says, hate your father and mother, your children. But Jesus also says you're going to have to hate your own life as well. And, and that makes it more reasonable when we consider it that it is hy- hyperbolic, hyperbolic. <laughs> Somebody can leave a comment on how to pronounce that correctly. We know it's hyperbole because nature itself, you know, we're going to have our own self-interest at heart to the uttermost. What he's calling for is us to deny that self-interest. That doesn't mean that I'm going to stop eating or stop showering or sleeping. I'm going to do all those things. It's just there's a mindset shift. I, I noticed that you put Romans 8:28 in your notes about uh, when you give your life to God. So for those who are concerned that, you know, if I stop looking out for number one, you know, myself, if I move down and put God in that place... Uh, is everything going to work out for me? Yeah, 
Yeah, uh, as Romans 8, 28 says, all things work together for good to those that love God. And so while we are not going to be as concerned for ourselves and we're going to have that concern for Christ, we're going to put on him in our, in our life, you know, he is going to make sure that, that his will is accomplished and his will is good. Uh, it may not always look good in, in the moment, but God is working what is best for time and eternity in and through his children. Let me ask you this. Is what I want and what is best always the same thing? Absolutely not. Uh, what I want is, is generally not, <laughs> usually not the, the, the best thing. Uh, because what is best for me isn't always going to be best in the moment. And what's best for me isn't always going to feel good. Uh, but we know that we have a good God, a God that loves us, and that if all things are working for good, then I know that I'm going to be better for it. It may be difficult, it may be rough, but the outcome is always going to be good for me. Delayed gratification is a, a word that some people might use, but those who are willing to delay gratification, there is scientific evidence that proves that those who can have that discipline are more likely to be successful later in life than those who give in to the moment. And I think that's kind of what we're talking about here, prioritizing God first is like delayed gratification. When we know that God is working for us, uh, it means we're, lit, we're, we're willing to subordinate our own lives. Let's maybe tie that back into Luke chapter 14. What is Jesus saying there that's reminding us to subordinate ourselves to him? Well, there in verse 27, he says, Whoever doesn't carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And there the cross is a very clear picture of death. You know, it was an instrument of death. It's what, it's what, uh, it's what killed Jesus. And so whoever doesn't carry his own cross and come after me, he's saying you need to put everything in your life aside all the way to the very breath that you breathe. Take up that cross and follow him, whatever the end may be to follow him. It's like what Paul said in the book of Philippians 1, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. There's a mindset there. And, and you know, people might look at him like he's this hero who lived a life that you and I will never live but he would it seems like before it happens he's still willing to die even though death might not have been there for him so we got to make that same kind of mindset right yeah and I'm, and I'm sure that in the moment you know Paul didn't feel like a hero that's a good point uh, you know he was probably tired stressed maybe even scared but he knew that he needed to deny him, him himself and put on Christ, and it didn't feel good. It didn't feel right. It's almost unnatural for us as humans to not, to not, you know, take care of no, number one. So in the moment, it, it's it's not always going to feel good. But we have to overcome. We have to put Him first in all things, and then we get the reward. If you wouldn't mind me taking a soapbox moment, what you just said, I think. I hope that maybe somebody who's listening to this will 
find encouragement in that, the idea of Paul didn't feel like a hero when he was doing heroic things. Um, in the book of Acts, there are three times that Jesus speaks to Paul. The first time is one of uh, rebuke when he's Saul, and he's saying, you know, why are you persecuting me? And then gives him the opportunity to repent and be saved. The second two times, so the, of the three, the second two that Jesus appears and speaks to Paul are times when he's in prison and he's offering him encouragement. And I can't help but think from that that, you know, this is not an arbitrary conversation. It's obvious that, that Paul needs something specific from Jesus and two out of the three times he needs words of comfort that it's going to be okay. And here's the connection I want to make. I have heroes in the church, uh, men of faith from generations above me. And when I hear about the heroic things they've done, I think, man, I wonder if I could do that. And then whenever I live my life, looking back on some of the places I've lived uh, or the works that I've been a part of, I didn't feel heroic in any of it. I always felt confused or, you know, is this what the Lord's will is? Or if I'm accomplishing it, and even if I had confidence in it, at the end of the day, I always felt like there was something else I could have done. I never felt quite heroic. And so, anyway, the, the reason I'm sharing this is maybe out there is somebody that feels a similar way, like you want to serve the Lord, but you're waiting to have this moment where you have clarity or this uh, aura about you like Paul had. I don't think he felt that way. He, he did things in faith, but I think he was also in his flesh, not looking forward to being punished or beaten, but he was willing to submit and that's taking up the cross and following Jesus. Yeah, the uh, in Hebrews, the hallway of faith. The uh, yeah, the, the uh, hall of hall of faith in, hall of faith. in chapter eleven. I, I'm quite sure that that every person who is who is standing there on the hall of faith again uh, in the moment in the difficult times did not feel like they deserved it. Did not feel like they could do it. Uh, and so, you know, it is a difficult life. It is something that we have to uh, accept and understand. And again, going back to our text here, Jesus is saying that you are going to have to go to these extremes in order to follow me. If you're going to follow me, you're going to have to give everything up all the way to the cross, all the way to the very breath that you breathe. And again, he's not offering heaven on earth he's offering heaven in heaven and he's saying this life is is going to be lived for me and it's going to be difficult mm -hmm. it's going to be tough the pe people of this the people that uh, think that oh when I become a Christian everything's going to be fixed everything's going to be taken care of my bills I'll never be behind on my bills I'll always have food in my belly uh, that, that life will be comfortable uh, that is not what the gospel te te teaches us it teaches us that we follow him and we will find the joy and the hope and the, and the love in the little things, in the hard times. And then, uh, and then we will enjoy everlasting life after that. Well, I think about Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Before that is a series of sentences that... Uh, reveal the contentment that Paul had. He was content being rich or poor. 
in danger or in safety because of Christ. He was able, by putting Christ first and subordinating himself, he had that complete confidence. Now, we're spending a lot of time in this first great point, and so I'm going to remind people what it is. Uh, you suggested that becoming a disciple demands an abandonment of past priorities. And so far we've discussed about giving up the relationships with others. We've just spent a lot of time talking about self. But then you spend a little bit of time talking about our possessions. What, what exactly do you mean by that? Am I supposed to have a yard sale where I give up everything at a moment's notice? No, uh, Jesus here is not calling everybody to uh, sell all that, that they have and, and give it away. Uh, what he's saying is, is those things that dominated your life, the stuff that you worked for, the stuff that you lived for, uh, those needed to go away also. Those needed to be subordinate uh, to his head, headship and to his, his demands on our life. Uh, you know, and sometimes we think about that and say, well, my stuff doesn't control me. Well, everywhere you look, somebody's nose is in a phone. Somebody's nose is in a computer. They're spending all their money on a car. They're spending all that they have to uh, to do things or to buy things so that they can keep up with their friends and their neighbors. And it really shows where people's priorities are. And so uh, he's saying first, you know, the relationships that you have that were the most important, that you followed others and you did the things that they did and and, and they kind of guided you through life, and then your own hopes and dreams and the priorities that you have, your own self-interests need to be subordinated. And then the last of all of it is just all of your stuff. Right. You need to be able to put it aside. He says in verse 33, so therefore no one of you can be my disciple who doesn't give up all of his own possessions. In verse 33, that give give up is uh, apatasso, which means to say goodbye to. And again, it's not a call for you to, it's not a call for s socialism or com communism, but it's a call to say, these are no longer important to me. They're going to be in their proper place and position, but I'm not going to live my life chasing stuff. Right. Wow. That, that, there's so much to unpack there. Uh, I think first off that there are some people, like the rich young ruler, who loved their stuff so much that it, it does affect the way that they serve God. You know, he followed every other law perfectly, but when it came ready to, to be generous with his possessions, he wasn't willing to, and that's what kept him out of the kingdom of heaven. Um, I think also about, again, Paul counting everything as a loss for Christ. He said everything else would be even rubbish or filth or trash. So certainly, uh, there's a new mindset in Christ with our possessions. I'm going to ask you a, kind of a softball question here, if they haven't all been softball already. Um, what's going to happen to all our stuff anyway? It's going to burn. <laughs> <laughs> when we die, we, uh, we will leave everything here. And so none of it is, uh, is worth it in the end. They are things that can make life enjoyable make life easier but at the end of the day if I gained the whole world but lost my soul I have I have I have gained nothing absolutely nothing because it will be gone and so will my soul in Hades and so we have to be 
we have to understand that that God is our first pri- priority, and this stuff is just is just stuff. Well, to me, it becomes tools in in the service for the King. Yeah, you know the stuff. I look at it differently now. I don't get the latest phone just so that I can have a status as being a rich person or being the cool guy in the neighborhood. I don't know if anybody buys a phone and says, no, I'm the cool guy now. But, you know, what's interesting about the latest phone is it's the exact same materials as other phones. It's glass, plastic, metal, etc. And yet we value glass, metal, metal, plastic differently depending on what it can do in our hands. But when you're looking at it with the Lord's mindset, it's, uh, Uh, you know, it's going to burn up. Yeah. And again, like I said before, that doesn't mean that we have to give up, that we have to sell our homes and live on the street. What is it that you are trying to accomplish? God will give you the tools in order to spread the gospel. He will make you effective. He will make you useful in any place, in any situation, whether you live in a village in Cambodia or you live in the middle of New York City. You know, you can be an effective tool for Christ, and he will use the people, he will use the stuff, and he will use you to accomplish his will. What a great ending to the first main point. I'd like to maybe move on to the second one, Um, but it's a very powerful point. So I want to just remind our listeners that in order to become his disciple, Jesus is demanding first an abandonment of past priorities. But now we're looking more at the present or the, the current state. And uh, you, you have in your notes here that discipleship demands an appraisal of your current state. And, and maybe can you explain what that means and, and uh, what scriptures do you have that go along with that? Oh, we're going to pause it right there. It's the end of the first great point, And we've got two more points to go on the high cost of discipleship. But you're going to have to come back next week if you want to get to the second and third part of this series. Now, you can go to the website. You can look up any of the other information we have there. It's www.pureandsimplebible.com. I'd love for you to check it out and look at those resources. You can also subscribe to the podcast on any platform that's on the site. Until next time, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you.